thinky, thirsty, and over 30. Welcome to Afternoon Army, a safe place for grown armies to dish and discover BTS. We are four ladies who just wanted to know their names and now can explain the meaning of Lachimolala. New to Army? No problem. Come along as we explore all the important businesses that Bongtan throws our way. Join us on the last Tuesday of every month as we hop in the clown car and drive to the circus. And stay tuned for shorter, snack-sized episodes between hosts and various correspondents. Because one thing we know is that content, well, it just keeps on coming. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. So this is kind of exciting because we have Lexi. Hi, Lexi. It is so exciting. (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you. Yay. I'm excited to be here. So last week, last week, a friend of mine texted me. She's like, have you all listened to this podcast? And it was podcast sounds like a cult, the K-pop episode. And I had read the book cultish that the author wrote a couple of years ago. Um, But I didn't follow her on like podcast. So I was immediately really excited to find out that I was in a cult because I didn't know that before. (laughs) I didn't either. (laughs) I'm not sad about it. (laughs) It's a great cult. It's working out well for me. It It is. is. It's really great. So I just thought we should like talk about it like how does it how does it feel what did we think about the podcast episode and yeah just wanted to jump in like when I sent you the podcast episode what were your thoughts just just for me when I saw the title I was like oh is this going to be some kind of a big takedown but honestly it ended up being more of some some things that we've kind of done too on our show which is to just kind of look at all different sides of the fandom the good and the bad uh so it didn't bother me that much in that sense it just felt like it was kind of like a critical look at any kind of group culture when people are really intense about something and i kind of took the cult thing as being kind of tongue-in-cheek and not really very literal well it bothered me did it (laughs) tell me i want to hear not because of the cult aspect of it. I mean, it's clear from other episodes that we're not using cult in the sense that we're used to. So it's not the Manson family. I think what bothered me, I was immediately on the defensive because of just how many times she said that she was scared. Yeah. Like so many times about this is so scary. Don't come for me. Don't come for my throat. As if it's a fandom, and by the way, K-pop is not a monolith, so there's that right. too. But the idea that there is no criticism possible of the fans and the fandom, whereas we have done that ourselves in the show. I mean, yeah. I think I understand that, you know, part of the point is to look at the more unsavory elements of it. But I don't know that we looked at any of the savory elements very much in this podcast a lot of it was negative and I found like derisive like there was a lot of laughing at how kooky it was and I don't know it just rubbed me the wrong way but I understand I mean there was some aspects that I completely agree with it like like the system is not a good system where idols come from we know that that's fraught with all kinds of 
layers of trauma and exploitation. We're aware of all these things. But I think the system is different from the fans. And there was really a conflation of the two. I guess we're complicit in a way, but it we didn't go into that at all. It was just the fans are scary and no one said crazy, but scary. And the system is bad. And I feel like there's more to it. Way more to it. How about you, Allison? I was expecting to be a little bit more put off than I was, but I, I think that what struck me was just sort of like, what was the point kind of, and maybe it's just to make people question like, you know, what are these groups and fandoms and things? And, you know, she looking at her episodes, like she takes on quite a few, um, but maybe that is the point is just to make people question and think about the groups and organizations and communities that they're a part of. And I think that for me personally, a more interesting thing to like question and deep dive would be to like frame it as a community rather than a cult. But I get that's her, her stick is like, I I write books about cults, Um, but she's really just writing books about community or, you know, creating content about community. Um, And I did listen to Taylor Swift's episode. She has two, she has part one and part two, part one came out in 2020. So it was a, bit dated um but she very quickly sort of glosses over the like fear of Swifties and how Swifties can be sort of fanatical in the same way that other fandoms are um I felt like she was more forgiving of that fandom than she was of k-pop To her credit, like she did a little bit of research into K-pop, which was something, but I feel like it was maybe not as much as she should have. (laughs) But I do appreciate the the guests that she had on. I thought that was, you know, she found somebody who at least was a fan of the K-pop world and was like able to talk about the the fandoms that she's a part of and really enjoyed and the the things that those communities have brought for her but I guess I really understand I I guess I really connect to the point that you're making of what was it for because it was too introductory for k-pop fans to be self-critical I think And then it just feels if it's not for K-pop fans and her attitude was so off-put, honestly, by by a lot of it, it becomes sort of a bit like a sideshow. I just I I, there was an aspect of it that was sort of rubbernecking a little bit about about how how nuts we are, supposedly. And and I think when looking at other I listened to part one of the Taylor Swift um episode or part two part one of the taylor swift episodes rather and you know i noticed that the western artists that she covers have their own episodes rather than just genre episodes so dolly parton has her own episode for example taylor swift has her own episode and i'm not saying that you know every k-pop group needs their own episode but to treat it all as if it's the same makes it so reductive as to not be that informative to me. I mean, I didn't learn anything 
I don't know if you did, but I didn't, I did not. I learned I'm in a cult. So yeah. there's that. There is that. I learned yeah. that um, if my parasocial boyfriend likes something that I will like it and buy it. Yes. That made me I didn't laugh know that. so hard. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm forever commenting on how much I love sports balls now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I love it oh, so much. I, I hope that they follow up to try to capture more if that's what they did with the Taylor Swift um, part two, just because and, and I'm, I'm grateful that they touched on some of the um, charitable work and social movements, uh, but it's just such a drop in the bucket. And I think my biggest takeaway was that it's good to be critical. And I'm glad that there are people willing to take that on. And so kudos to them for doing that. But like you said, it's, it was lopsided and it's missing among the other things you talked about. It also doesn't explain to an outsider, to to the audience, which isn't really K-pop fans, why, what is so, so important about it? What's so meaningful about it um, and reduced it to just uh, that thing about, I, I just, which I didn't agree with about it being about um, you're being marketed some person who's supposed to be yeah. your ideal type. And there's no meaning in that at all. I mean, you could look at any person out in pop culture and mm -hmm. see an attractive person. So, so that doesn't explain it. And so it, 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 it missed a big opportunity in that sense. I thought, yeah. Cause there's so, it's so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. I mean, I think what would be what they did talk about in the Taylor Swift episode that I listened to was why she inspires that level of devotion about how her songs have almost universal appeal amongst white women, to be honest. But in terms of just the themes and how um, they reflect different cycles in a young woman's life as she grows older, etc. There was none of that in this. Like there was some discussion about how engineered it is about how marketed it is to people and it made it seem like there was no substance or soul to it whatsoever at one point she said it's as bubblegum pop as it gets and i completely disagree with that i mean that that really drove me nuts when i heard that yeah i i just yeah i guess i i mean i could just keep coming back to the same thing mm -hmm. but i i guess i i also just am not sure who will learn from it and what they could possibly learn besides that were really, really scary, apparently. And this mm -hmm. whole thing of no one wanted to come on the podcast, maybe no one wanted to be on the podcast. You know what I mean? Like maybe mm -hmm. it's not everyone is living in fear for their lives of, you know, the crazy K-pop stands that are going to dox them, especially if it's, you're saying like fairly innocuous stuff like that. But at the same time, maybe the reason that K-pop fans get upset is because of the way we're misrepresented all the time <laughs> as this mob. I mean, I I've never doxed anyone. I don't fight with people on the internet and I wouldn't. I mean, maybe that's because of our age, but I don't think it is. I think it's just like anything else. There's different qualities of people in any group. I don't think there's more stalkers in K-pop than there are in Western pop. And that emphasis over and over again of, you know, the sussings and things like that. 
yeah, that exists. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. It's there. But it's not unique to K-pop in any way. It just takes a different form. I was, when they brought up the protest trucks, I was like, oh no, yes, this does sound bad. <laughs> the protest trucks do sound bad. But at the same That's time- pretty, It's pretty crazy. <laughs> it is, it is. And it was. it is not what I would spend my money on. But at the same time, it's just a message on a truck. You know what I mean? No one's getting hurt. It's not like a demonstration. It's, it is intense. And I would reallocate my resources. <laughs> but- that was the one thing that I was like, yes, that is unique to K-pop, but it's unique to K-pop in Korea. It's not international K-pop fandom. And I think it is a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of fans as well that do that kind of thing. So I don't know. I just, I felt it lacked balance. Yeah. There was, there was one other thing too, among the other things that we're discussing, which was, um, there was the discussion of the incredible pressure that idols are under, which is, of course, very real and has lots of different facets to it and lots of different causal factors. But um, it made it one thing that I didn't like was they said that the pressure and maybe it's true in some ways that I'm not seeing. And, and there may be like a component of it in Asia that I don't understand since I'm a Western fan. But they said that the idols are under so much pressure from the fans that it puts this crazy amount of pressure on them. And I'm like, isn't that really like all the hate comments and everything? That's not the coming from the fandom. That's coming from the um, small group of people on the internet who are into, you know, basically hate messaging. Uh, and that, and that again is not something you see so much in the West and it is not coming from the fans. And so I thought that that was pretty unfair, uh, or and just, just erroneous. Yes. And I think the idea there, she mentioned that it was, there were complex factors, but the idea that mm. fan pressure leads to people taking their lives is a massive oversimplification, especially mm. if you look at um, the relationship between suicide in Asia and suicide in Korea in particular, this mm -hmm. is not in a vacuum. You know, th there's, there's reasons for this and it's not K-pop stands necessarily. I'm not saying everyone is faultless, but I think for there's sure. a lot being attributed to fandom and fans that is not fair. And at the same time, I found myself in a weird position of wanting to defend the companies because the idea that there's no incentive for them to protect the artists that they like nurture this really aggressive fandom isn't true they're constantly suing people for defamation and harassment and trying to protect them as much as possible there's things that i think we all aren't comfortable with like the airport walks that we wish they didn't always do or they did in a more controlled way but i think to a degree the companies well, I mean, with lesser degrees of success, maybe, but are trying to protect their artists. And especially more recently, I think there's more emphasis on that and on mental health, for example. So it just felt like, I don't know, there was there were so many places it could have gone. I, I found it was an hour where there just wasn't very much that was new or interesting or even a perspective that I thought to myself, oh, yeah, OK, that's true. I mean, they're all things that we knew already. And I understand, again, that I'm not the, the absolute target audience of it. But 
if your goal was to make me critical or self-critical, it did not work. It just made me defensive. And maybe that's my problem. It did get me thinking like, um, so the friend that sent this to me, I was like, okay, she's going to listen to this podcast now. And she knows probably very little, just things that I've talked about in terms of K-pop and like, what will be her takeaway? I'm actually going to see her this coming weekend. So I'm going to ask her like, as you listen to that, what did you learn? What was interesting to you? What is your view of K-pop after listening to that podcast? Um, And see how sort of an outsider perspective is of it. And this is not really related to that, but I thought it was interesting in the the episode about Taylor Swift, there was a lot of like, she gets to own her narrative. She look how hard she works. Um, and there was very little sort of on the same side for the K-pop artists of the incredible amount of work that goes into being an idol and all of the things that they do to make that dream come true. And then I think they talked about it a little bit, but just sort of like, okay, after you get through, after you are an idol and you debut, then you get a little bit more of your power back. Like you get a little, own a little bit more of the narrative, but that was such a small piece of it. And I think that's like you had mentioned earlier, Lexi, the problem of like using like, well, let's look at this genre versus let's look at this one particular artist. You don't get to see how, k-pop idols do use their voice and their platform to talk about things that are really important to them to produce their own music to write you know all of the things that they do in that group to express who they are absolutely there was just a lot of coming mainly from from the host but a lot of discussion on you know conformity and living up to an ideal that again seemed to be really monolithic and I just don't think that members of groups are interchangeable nobody said that but that was sort of the implication was that you know you're marketed to and then everybody lives up to the same difficult to achieve but really pleasing standard and I don't know that's not why I like the people I like. It kind of made made the idols sound kind of plastic. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think that misses the and and the parasocial aspect of it was kind of cast as purely manufactured. And we've talked to, on the show before about how you know even though you know when we've talked about parasocial relationships and all of that but the, how there is a genuine exchange between the artists and the fans that can be very uplifting and meaningful and joyful um and so that part of it was really lost in the equation and i think that if we're comparing to taylor swift not that you know i think that that's the only comparison that can be made but just because in the context of the show there just the discussion of in that part one about people being obsessed with ascribing meaning to codes and symbols and finding Easter eggs that was not treated with the same sort of, not disdain, disdain is too strong, but sort of just astonishment at the devotion. And that, that bothered me because, because it's almost a one for one in the sense, it's not the exact same thing. Taylor Swift does not have 
hand-holding meetings where you just get to touch hands and move on and that's fine that's the western tradition versus the east that's that's what that is but there is still that level of scrutiny from fans trying to find secrets trying to find codes but in that in that episode it was sort of treated as a product of her uniqueness in a way whereas in this episode it was just marketing and the how rabid the fans are that they can't wait when an album comes out to all listen to it together and or when a a trailer drops for a comeback like yeah people are gonna get excited about that I don't know why that's so shocking and I genuinely think it wouldn't have bothered me as much if she could not stop talking about how scared she was it was excessive I calm down, ma'am. You're not going to get doxxed over this. Like, I'm not going to think about you after this. Don't worry. <laughs> I just found it really, you're heading in and that's what you're saying over and over again. Like, how, how are we going to come off in this episode? Not great. Not great. You've already made up your mind and you're telling all your listeners who don't know us, but trust you that we're bananas. I wonder what was happening around the time that they recorded this. Or just if it was in her like search and just couldn't find anybody. And so she attributed to that fear because they were so vague. They mentioned zero like artists by name. I mean, they mentioned BTS, but it wasn't like in anything helpful or useful. It was just like, here's a group BTS sort of context. So I just wondered like, what was going on in the world at that time that she was so fearful of K-pop fans coming after her to just be so vague in not even her criticism really but just sort of like well here's a group and they make idols that you literally use the word idols so it must be a cult like religion (laughs) right so I thought that was interesting just sort of like "Hmm, I wonder what was happening like where this fear came from because we're not going to come after you if you're just like vague posting uh no Here's what happens yeah. in the K-pop world. <laughs> okay. It must it must be a reference, apparently, and I can't cite a specific um, instance because I don't remember one happening since I've been in the game, but I guess there have been some instances in the past of, and again, you know, with so many of the examples that were included during that hour, they were about a very small subset of fans that are like warriors online that basically just go and out and fight all the time, fight for their group, fight for their, their bias and, you know, all that stuff about, you know, fans of one group fighting another group. And that stuff's real. I think it's probably it's real in the West and in the East, but it's, I think it's a minority of fans that are like that. And um, apparently there have been some instances of, for example, if a music critic kind of uh, disses an album by a K-pop artist, that there have been some really intense overzealous fans that have done things like doxed them. And that's not cool. We don't condone that at all. That's horrible. But uh, so I guess that's what she's referring to. But it, again, it's such a small subset of the fan base. And uh, I, we're out there all the time interacting with people and at concerts and online. And the vast, vast majority of fans are just gracious and kind. And, uh, you know, any any community has issues in it. But uh, 
I view that as that kind of activity as being more the fringe. It's definitely not, I don't think it's the mainstream unless, unless I have a misconception of it, but I'm not aware that I do. I can only speak to what I've encountered uh, personally, but this has been the kindest, most generous and genuinely caring group that I've been involved in. Even when we've gone to shows, just people saving each other's places, um, looking out for each other, making room for each other. And if we're all just vying for the attention of who we've decided delusionally is our boyfriend, that wouldn't be happening. There was so little mention of community. And in fact, this whole like go to a park to listen to music, to be closer to people and touch grass. Does I'm old. Don't tell me to go outside. You know, I've been outside. It's okay. I've done it. <laughs> and I met great people on the internet and I did meet them in real life, but I did meet them on the internet and I'm really glad I did. So like going to the park isn't going to help me. I just found it. I don't know. I found it patronizing. And the idea that the whole fandom is being characterized by this, these tiny groups of people who are very problematic. Like imagine if, you know, I don't know, Drake fans got painted that way for questioning whether Megan Thee Stallion got shot in the foot and, you know, flooding her timeline with threats and all kinds of disgusting things. But there is never that um, treatment of other, there are, but for the most part in terms of fandoms, K-pop fandoms, the K-pop fandom in general, which again is not just one fandom, but gets maligned in a way that I feel like others don't. And this is maybe me being overly sensitive, but I just feel like it's still that thing. I still feel that thing of like, well, this is stupid boy bands and what teenage girls like, and therefore it has no value and it should be made fun of. Nobody said that at any point, but I all feel like it's coming from the same sort of place where people just go, wow, that's crazy, which she did multiple times without using that. She was just saying, you know, at one point she says, it's parasocial as fuck and it's culty as fuck. It's like, okay. I mean, again, I don't think my bias is my boyfriend. Which makes me think about just like how she talked to comparing it to so it's the only other episode I listened to I'm so sorry <laughs> but the like the way that they would talk about how Swifties and their relationship with Taylor is like friend mother like confidant like all of these attributes that fans put on that parasocial relationship and it felt like my parasocial relationship with BTS and Yoongi was boiled down to well he's just sexy and that's not I'm not interested in that because it's so much more complex than that like there's a lot more that I get from mm -hmm. that like parasocial relationship than like ooh a sexy boyfriend I don't he's not my boyfriend at all <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think that that Lexi's point is is an excellent one, which is it really is taking because it's women in a parasocial relationship with male artists that it's like Lexi said that it's it's it gets it always gets devalued um, and treated as kind of kooky and um, girly and therefore worthless. I think you're right about that. Even in the way that I mean. Um... 
Lie Francis, who's the the guest, mm. talked about girl groups mainly. And yeah. I mean, I don't know who anyone is interested in sexually. It's not, it's whatever. But mm. why would anyone like girl groups then? Like, why would I, yeah. as a heterosexual woman, like girl groups, which I do? Mm -hmm. Why would I be interested in that if it's not about, if it's only about marketing my ideal type to me and then me mm -hmm. developing a parasocial relationship with that object of my affection? I mean, I've mentioned to you offline before that I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to no. win a fan call. <laughs> it would be terrible. I don't want to do that. But I don't know. It was just treated as in the same way that K-pop was treated as all the same, all the fans' motivations and sort of level of devotion and reasons were the same. And like you said before, Tanya, there was no examination of why we all fell so hard for mm. this group in particular. And there's very important reasons for that. That's not just that they're, you know, they're kind of a snack to look at. They're, right. you People know, don't fall this hard into what uh life francis called that that black hole unless it's filling a deep need um that you can't get in other places exactly um, i think that's quite right i did i did enjoy um life francis's take on how they got involved in k-pop and how they wanted mm -hmm. to amplify uh asian voices in the arts and and how that was a really important thing for them growing up and so i was i was happy to hear that perspective and that was one of the bright spots in the episode i think that live francis did their best in terms mm -hmm. of trying to make counterpoints without being defensive um yeah. which i wouldn't clearly not have been able to do but all of the commentary about the value of k-pop and its meaning and hints as to the reasons why there is such a level of devotion came from from them mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah 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 i wish they could have had more time to share more of their own experience which i think you alluded to earlier yeah at the same time i am sort of almost regretting that how annoyed i sound because i feel like this this would be taken as um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, possibly. As evidence, as evidence of the of, yeah. inability to reflect and to yeah. engage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. all I can say to that is, I don't know, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I have been privately and on the show plenty critical of mm -hmm. BTS and of the system. And there are elements of fandom that make me extremely uncomfortable and queasy. For sure. But I also care about them a lot and they make me happy and they make me sad. And I don't think that one uh, precludes the other in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's all right to be sensitive. I mean, even, even if that's what it is, you know, but even if that person was sensitive, because honestly, this is one of the few things that, you know, when women get excited about things and love things passionately and experience joy with them so often, there's that ridicule like we talked about and K-pop is, is really gets a lot of that. And it's hard for us, I think, to even like, I sometimes like I sit there and have to be careful. Like, who do I share with that? I'm so that I love this so much and that it's so meaningful to me because I know that I'm going to get judged for it. And so to get judged again, is just like, Oh, I don't want to be judged anymore. 
for something that's beautiful and joyful and that and has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me for my mental health and well-being I think that was where I really wanted more was in terms of the joy that it brings people like at the end when there was this comparison between different fandoms or cults and they decided that k-pop fandom was cultier than elon musk's stands sure but can we look at the harm that's being done though as can that be one of the considerations when we're having this conversation like i don't know like hosok isn't implanting chips into chimps brains he isn't controlling the uh satellite access that you know ukraine has to telecommunications right he's singing about equality and about yeah. um you know, <laughs> you know how hatred divides people things like yes that. exactly <laughs> and art <laughs> yeah and he's not complaining about pronouns so maybe okay so we love our our um you know our biases more but you know we're not destroying the world and i sort of wish that there had been an acknowledgement of that and not just a k-pop's cult tier sure well said yeah uh i also just want don't want to minimize the misogyny that taylor swift faces every day no no (laughs) like and the things that she has been through just like when you zoom out and like what she has gone against in the industry that she's a part of. But when you zoom in on a person and you talk about that specific fandom and then you zoom out, like it, it changes the game, but you know, having just like seen the world's reaction to the Super Bowl and her being in it and just like support, (laughs) like don't want to downplay or minimize that experience for her. Um, Side note. No, absolutely. And I, I, I have to say I'm only using her as a point of comparison because yeah. it was the only other episode I, I listened exactly. to. And we've talked before about how it was sort of the other big tour this summer. And um, they yeah. are similar fandoms. There's bracelet making and, uh, you know, screaming and crying in movie theaters. Like it is it is very similar. I don't know why we're the crazy ones, though. <laughs> I think that's that's where I take issue. And me as well. Yeah. And just the the words and language. I mean, she's a linguist, linguistic, linguist, however you say that. She's a linguist. The, yeah. yeah. Um, so I just words are important. And yeah. So saying that we're in a cult and dogmatic and overprotective, interesting, interesting language to use. So yeah. I, I was I think that about, for example, uh, Mingyu, who got lost at LAX the other day and was helped by very nice fans who uh, put their phones down when he asked them to and explained to him, it sounds like at length and with difficulty that he had to go to the Uber lot to go get his Uber. And that's a very innocuous, nice encounter of somebody who was by themselves, confused, not protected by bodyguards, and who just got help from fans who happened to be there, who were very respectful of his wishes and just wanted to see him on his way. And I don't know how many fandoms can claim that. That's a good point. Well, I think that if we smash the patriarchy 
then we wouldn't all need to be fans of idols anymore. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Not that we wouldn't want to be, but <laughs> that's where so much of this is coming from, you know. Always. Uh, so so criticize me then, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when you know, I have so much else in the world to uh to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, thank you both for entertaining me in this. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I was thank so you mad. For bringing it to us. No, it was good. It was cathartic. <laughs> I just uh, like to talk things out. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, well, Bora, hey. Bora, hey. Bora, hey. Love you both. Love you all out there. I love you both. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get enough of BTS? Cool. Neither can we. So between shows, why don't you hop on over to at Afternoon Army on Instagram and join the conversation. Want to support us as a newer podcast hitting the scene? Great. Share the love by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And last, but certainly not least, don't forget to check out the other pod in our network, Afternoon Delight, K-Drama Deep Dives from three romance authors with new episodes dropping every Wednesday.